You're listening to the People's Podcast. The MAGA people are not exactly the the, uh, the easiest to deal with. Fuck the MAGA people. <laughs> this is JSC Radio. That is definitely going to be in the promo. I knew I couldn't be as big as him, man. I wanted to be just like him. I watched him move, man. I watched him treat people. Treating people, ripping clothes off is not my idea of treating people right. When I saw him with Heenan, you're right, man. I knew it changed. I, when, when he was Heenan, I knew he was a different man. I knew Heenan had got to him. I knew something was different. We used to fight for the same things. We used to fight because we believed in the straight and narrow. And when I saw him with Heenan, I knew it was jealousy, greed, the money, something had gotten to him, you know. But when he pulled... The shirt, man, when he ripped the cross off my chest, he didn't just tear it off. He dug in and tore my heart out, man. Why didn't you just take a stake and drive it in my heart, Andre? And you know something? Now that we's with Heenan, it's all changed, man. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Hey now, my name is Jay Scott Smith. And this is the 82nd episode of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Welcome once again, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. Jay Scott Smith here. And damn it, it's good to be back with you for episode 82 of this mother. I'll tell you this much. It's always good to be on this microphone. It's always good to be unfettered and independent and be able to do this and give you this shit each and every single 10 days or so. It's not really a week, it's not two weeks, kind of somewhere in between. And I know I promised you a retro review. That's still coming. But the subject matter of this particular show does pertain to pro wrestling, but it also pertains to life. And it's something that I felt I had to get out there now. So why not just cut the BS and just do it? But first things first, man, you're effing with the worst. Let's get out there. Shouts out and love to each and every one of you who've been supporting this show. And especially in the last month, the last few weeks where this show has really taken off, especially after episode 80. I can't, I can't thank Melissa and Michelle enough. I also want to thank each and every one of y'all who supports the show on all the different podcast providers, whether it's Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or SoundCloud, whether it's Stitcher or Google Play. Whether it's the TuneIn app or Radio Public, whether it's Audio Boom or iHeartRadio or, of course, Spotify. No matter what podcast provider you use, thank you. Damn it, thank you for supporting the show. Be sure to hit up the mothership, jscottsmith.com, to check out all things JSC. Plus, be sure to hit up jscottsmith.com slash voice, JSC voice, so you can get this voice on any of your campaigns. Plus, if you're an up-and-coming podcaster, I produce podcasts as well. So I have no problem producing yours and making your shit sound glorious. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at JSC Radio. Follow me on the Twitter machine at J. Scott Smith. That's J-A-Y-S-C-O, two T's, S-M-I-T-H. The only Smith you need to be listening to on any airwaves out here in Philadelphia, baby. I'll tell you that damn much. And also be sure to show love to JSC TV on RVN TV. And I've got another project coming up that I can't wait to talk about as we get into the month of August. I'm also heading, speaking of the month of August, I'm going to be heading out to the Motor City next week for the NABJ yearly convention. I get to go home for a few days. So yes, I might have a couple of surprises regarding this podcast from that as well but you gotta stay tuned damn it 
That's just how it rolls. As always, thank you so much. I'm also on Instagram at jscottsmith and, of course, the Facebook page, Real J. Scott Smith. Verified there and on Twitter. Original. Thank you all so much. Now that I'm kind of through the intros there, the voice you heard coming into this show was that of one Hulk Hogan. We've referenced Hogan a few times on this show. Throughout the history of this show, I mentioned multitude of occasions Hulk Hogan's name. The first time Hogan came up on this show was episode five when I did a show talking about WrestleMania. Hogan's come up in a multitude of the retro reviews that I've done. Hogan came up in the, not the retro review, but I guess the greatest WrestleMania matches ever. And I'll be a mention of that a little bit later on in this segment. But I've written about this. I wrote about it on Medium. I actually put the link to it here down below. Version of it's going to show up in Vibe magazine. Oh, yeah, your boy's big time. But I felt the need to write this piece when WWE decided they were going to bring him back. Y'all know what he did, but we'll go further into that as we go along. I will warn you right now, as I did with episode 80, there's going to be a little language in here that's a little bit stiffer than normal. And trust me, it gets stiff on this show anyway. Pause. But it's going to get a little rough. But it has to be said. And considering, A, it's my podcast. B, it's pretty much established that we go anywhere we want to go here. I figure now I would at least give you that warning. So you can get your panties into a bunch now so they're already there when it comes time. In the past, I've talked about my wrestling fandom, about how I am nowhere near ashamed to say I'm a pro wrestling fan. I've been a pro wrestling fan for more than 30 years. To be exact, I was five years old. And it was early 1985, and I was spending time doing what I often did back then as a five-year-old, sitting on the floor of my parents' living room in my childhood home on Schoolcraft and Artesian in Detroit. What up though, Rosedale Park? Big up to roller wheels. As with all little black boys in the 1980s, one of the baddest dudes in the world to me was Mr. T. You couldn't tell me shit about Mr. T. I was about all things Lawrence Terrio. I had Mr. T t-shirts. I ate the Mr. T cereal. I even with the Mr. T Saturday morning cartoon. The only thing I was into more than Mr. T was Detroit Tigers baseball. And in the ongoing quest to find ways to keep my hyperactive five-year-old ass calmed down, my dad had gotten a hold of a couple of videotapes. They were Betamax to be exact because, again, remember, this was 1985. I just turned five the previous fall. A couple of videotapes of this pro wrestling show from what was then known as the World Wrestling Federation. We now know it as WWE. Now, I'd never watched wrestling before. Friends of mine had. And I'd heard kids talking about it, but I'd never actually seen it. So I had no idea what it was. But when my dad told me that Mr. T was on one of these tapes, that's all I needed, man. The event was held in Madison Square Garden in early 1985, and it was called The War to Settle a Score. 
This is back when MTV and the WWF had this partnership to get WWF into the mainstream, and they were using the top pop and rock acts of the time as the, you know, the way to push it over the top. Plus, they were heading into the first WrestleMania. Now, I had no damn clue what the hell I was watching. It wasn't boxing, but it was weird, and it was fun, and it was exciting. It was taped from MTV because we didn't have cable at the time, and it had all these stars there, including Mr. T. But the star of the show did not have a mohawk. He wasn't dripping gold chains. He didn't have the cutoff jean vest. He wasn't out there pitying fools. The star of this show was a six foot seven, 300 pound, tanned and blonde dude from Venice Beach, California. And when he entered the world's most famous arena, he made the crowd go crazier than they would for Bernard King or Michael Ray Richardson or the newly drafted Patrick Ewing. That man was Hulk Hogan. Now that night, he was facing the evil loudmouth Rowdy Roddy Piper for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. And when Hogan hit the ring, it was the thunderous cheers as Eye of the Tiger from the Rocky films blasted in the speakers. Before he hit the ring, he dapped up and hugged T at ringside. He had on this yellow shirt with Hulkamania emblazoned in red across the front before ripping it off and immediately throwing hands with Piper. It was that exact moment where I was hooked on pro wrestling. And Hogan, who told the kids to take their vitamins and say their prayers, brother, was the God MC of the 1980s. For years, and I'm talking about years, I'm talking about into my teenage years, you couldn't tell me anything about Hogan. He could do no wrong in my eyes. Just two years later, because remember, this is prior to the first WrestleMania. Two years later, we're not heading into WrestleMania 3, and Hulk Hogan, as you heard there to start this show, was getting ready to face Andre the Giant. And prior to that, there's always something that, that trips me out when I think back to these days. Segments like Piper's Pit did so much to get over guys and get over storylines and get over talent. And it was interesting to see Hogan standing in Piper's Pit, a week removed from Andre the Giant, snatching off his shirt, ripping off the chain. The, one of those iconic moments when Andre challenged Hogan for the title match. He tears off the shirt, tears off the cross. He tears it off with such force that Hogan is bleeding from the chest. And Piper with an extra touch, points that out. So the following week when Hogan shows up in Piper's pit again, he gives this long, very broken-hearted promo, and it led to one of the iconic moments and another one of those goosebump-inducing moments from Hogan and from pro wrestling that just hooked you. Even if you weren't a pro wrestling fan, it just hooked you as a kid. Tell me yes or no! Hogan accepted the challenge, then headed to the Pontiac Silverdome, which was just 40 minutes away from my house, in front of a crowd bigger than the one that saw Super Bowl 16 played there five years earlier in 1982. He defeated Andre in a match that culminated, of course, with the body slam heard around the world. Look at this! It 
it was exactly after that night. Now, Hogan, you got to understand, had been champion for three years, but he was officially an icon, the real-life Captain America, covered in red and yellow and draped in red, white, and blue with the 24-inch pythons. 28 years after this, that hero was dead to me. All that was left was just another phony, a fraud, a shameful, racist husk of a white man named Terry Bollea. See, that's the tough part about this thing with Hogan. That even though we all know that these guys are flawed, even though that we know that they're not real, they own a part of us because of what they did for us at a certain part of our lives. But damn it, those two words cut like a knife, man. Fucking niggers. They were said in such a dismissive way that you can tell they were a part of his normal rotation of words. It was just a non sequitur to him at this point. Now, I was at work here in Philadelphia on the morning of July 24th, 2015. It was a Friday. And I decided that I was finally going to do it. Among the hobbies that I have, as a, you know, well-adjusted, grown-ass man such as myself would have, is that I collect throwback baseball caps and quirky, offbeat graphic tees. Usually, with classic logos from like Pepsi logos or Coke logos or Budweiser or Ford or retro movie shirts. I have a bunch of Star Wars shirts, for example, or video game characters, and I got plenty of them. But on this particular morning, I was going to finally do it. I was going to buy my first Hulkamania t-shirt. Of all the t-shirts I had, including a number of pro wrestling shirts, I had never been able to find a genuine 1980s Hulkamania t-shirt. Not the early 90s Hulk rules shirt that the WWF had started selling. Not those knockoff Hulkster t-shirts that WCW was selling in the mid-90s. But the genuine article, the 1985 original recipe shirt, the John with the red shirt with Hulkamania across the front in yellow, the one he was wearing in the first WrestleMania poster with Mr. T. I've been looking for one of those damn things everywhere. And WWE had finally released them as a part of a retro collection along with these cool shirts from the Mega Powers and the NWO and a few other things. Well, I hit that confirm order button for that shirt, and for a hot second, my 35-year-old ass was a kid again. I was finally going to get it. I finally had my damn Hulkamania shirt. And then 20 minutes later, I decide I want to wander onto Twitter because I would go on Twitter to often see if there was anything buzzing in news, if there was something we might have to run on air. You never know. So I wander onto Twitter, and I see Hogan's name trending. And there it was. Fucking niggers. Live and in living damn color. And it's not that we haven't gotten used to our childhood heroes, especially pro wrestlers, being revealed as damaged frauds in real life. Hell, Hogan himself had become a flawed shell of who he was way before this. At least 10 years before this. But this, this shit right here, that shit hit me right between the eyes. It hit me and so many other 80s babies particularly hard. It was just another stiff, brutal reminder of when Ice Cube 
famously said, here's what they think about you. So 30 years after his coming out party at Madison Square Garden, here was Terry Bollea, a hapless, pitiful, shameful, middle-aged shell of a man caught on, caught, he was caught on camera after having consensual sex, that should be noted, with his then best friend's wife, grousing about his daughter, Brooke, and dating a black man named Yannick Baker. You may know him as Miami-born rapper Stax. He didn't do a whole lot. He did a couple of decent tracks. He did one with Twista that was actually pretty dope, to be honest with you. But other than that, he didn't do a whole lot. But the thing about Yannick Barker, it's not as much Yannick Barker. It was his dad, Cecile, who was helping Brooke attempt to get her failed music career off the ground when she happened to hook up with Stax. Cecile Barker, should be noted, heavy hitter in the music industry, managed Sly and the Family Stone, Peaches and Herb, a couple of great R&B groups of the 70s. But by the mid-2000s, he was the CEO of his son's fledgling record label, Sobe Entertainment. But that didn't matter to Terry Bollea. For Terry Bollea, Cecile Barker was just a black billionaire whose nigger son was having sex with his daughter. Quote, I told you, the language gets stiff here. Quote, I mean, I'd rather if she was going to fuck some nigger he says this matter-of-factly. I'd rather her marry an eight-foot-tall nigga worth $100 million, like a basketball player. Well, shit. Here's wrestling's icon. Essentially, Bill Russell or George Mikan or Jerry West in yellow wrestling tights who spent years embracing men like Shaquille O'Neal and Dennis Rodman, like Mr. T and the Junkyard Dog and The Rock, openly talking about the man dating his daughter in the way that slave traders talked about stolen Africans. Without missing a beat, he openly admits that he's racist. Quote, I mean, I am a racist to a point before hitting you with those two magic words, fucking niggers. Good God. When I looked on Twitter and I saw this, because the transcript was out there, it had been rumored that he'd said something, but it didn't take long for the actual transcript of what he said to get there. It was like, it, it was jarring. But it wasn't just jarring to me, it was jarring to WWE as well. Because you got to remember, they're a publicly traded company who in recent years had been working to distance itself from their own horribly racist history. And they actually acted swiftly for once, firing Hulk Hogan immediately and taking the extraordinary step of booting him from their Hall of Fame and wiping as many references to him as they could from their TV and video library. Hogan got his belt and he went the hell home and I promise everybody or else I'll go in the goddamn grave. You will never see that piece of shit again. Amen. Oh, Vince Russo, if it were only that simple. I mean, it did seem rather stunning that they pulled that out because it was the type of treatment that they'd only reserved for Chris Benoit. Oh, you remember him, don't you? Chris Benoit, who has been virtually erased from all WWF slash WWE lore after he infamously murdered his wife and his son before committing suicide in June 2007. It was a stunning but a necessary move by the company. 
But anybody who knows anything about pro wrestling, if you follow pro wrestling, if you know WWE, even in the slightest, you knew damn well Vince McMahon had a history of allowing wrestlers back into the fold, including ones who either wronged him, disgraced the company, or committed heinous acts. And that's that's just a given fact, whether it's Jimmy Snuka, and we all know what Jimmy did, whether it's Ken Patera going to prison for essentially causing a riot at a McDonald's, whether it's Eric Bischoff, who ran WCW, the company that was trying to put WWF out of business, no matter how much he insists that's not what they were trying to do, that's exactly what they were trying to do. Whether it's Medusa Michelli, who went on WCW Monday Nitro and dropped the women's championship belt in the garbage. Now, she was kept out of the company for more than 20 years before they finally brought her back and put her in the Hall of Fame. They kept her out longer than they kept out Jerry the King Lawler who had to leave the company in the middle of 1993 because he'd gotten himself in trouble for messing around with underage girls. Yes, the same Jerry the King Lawler who seems to think what Hulk Hogan said was overblown because of, quote, PC culture. Yes, that guy. In fact, his penchant for messing around with underage girls was so well known that jokes were openly made about it on commentary during Monday Night Raw, SmackDown, and pay-per-view broadcasts. McMahon welcomed that guy back, too. He also welcomed back the Ultimate Warrior on three separate occasions, no less, in 1992, 1996, and finally in 2014 when, like Hogan, he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Yes, that Ultimate Warrior, the one who was notorious for his vile homophobic rants in lectures and during online videos and shoot interviews, he was previously fired for... Holding up McMahon for more money prior to SummerSlam 1991. He was fired for steroid use the following year after being brought back at WrestleMania 8. And when they brought him back in 1996 for WrestleMania 12, he got fired a couple of months later for no-showing events. The company had such a great beef with him that they went as far as to put out that infamous DVD, The Self-Destruction of the Ultimate Warrior, in 2005. Yet nine years later, here's Warrior walking his ass up on the stage, accepting a Hall of Fame ring, and then giving an emotional speech on Monday Night Raw just two days later. 24 hours after that speech, he died of a heart attack. Vince, as you recall, got into a little bit of hot water during a 2005 episode of Monday Night Raw in Detroit, where he infamously said, and I will not pull the audio out of that, you will just have to go find it, when he walked up to John Cena backstage and said the words, what's good, my nigga? John Cena at the time was doing his rapper gimmick and Booker T just happened to be standing off camera in the background. The camera pans over to spy Booker T, who, as you may recall, eight years earlier in WCW had his own wonderfully notorious N-word moment. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga. He's looking on in bug-eyed shock at what Vince had just said. So in spite of everything, you knew it was just a matter of time before Hogan the man best associated with the company and the industry as a whole would be back in the WWE's fold. And it happened last Sunday prior to the Extreme Rules pay-per-view in Pittsburgh. Hogan showed up, addressed the locker room. That didn't go over as well as the company would like because you notice you haven't heard much of Hogan's name since on WWE programming. Mark Henry, who was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in April, told SiriusXM's Busted Open Radio the next day that Hogan apologized and noted that Hogan had done a lot of stuff with the Boys and Girls Club 
Uh, wanking motion. And when asked if all other black wrestlers in the company were on board, he didn't lie. He very quickly said, no, quote, it's 50-50. I've talked to guys that are like the hell with them. And I've had guys that were like, you know what, if you're willing to make the change and try to help out and go and speak up and be a part of the answer and rather a part of the problem, then it's all good. Except it ain't all good. And you can count me as one of those dudes who says the hell with Hulk Hogan. We all know about wrestling's history with race. It's always been quote-unquote complicated and problematic, particularly with black Americans and Latinos, to be fair. Now, while there have been legendary black stars throughout the history of the business, like Bobo Brazil, Ernie Ladd, the Junkyard Dog, Coco Beware, The Rock, Ron Simmons, Mark Henry, and the like, the sport itself has routinely pandered to stereotypes. Just go ahead and Google Kamala or Crime Time and Saba Simba and all the hilariously awful things they were doing in the territories and the terrible things they were doing in WCW. You don't even really have to go back that far. Go back 20 years. We're coming up on the 20th anniversary of DX coming down to the ring on Monday Night Raw to mock the nation of domination with three members of the damn faction in blackface, including X-Pac, who went full blackface to dress up as Mark Henry and saying, hey, 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 like Fat Albert. It also shows in who they've showcased as their world champion in the company's history. Only three African-Americans have held either the WWF slash WWE or the World Heavyweight Championship, the big gold belt. Three black guys have held that championship in the WWF's lexicon. The Rock, Booker T, and Mark Henry. When you toss in WCW, the number goes up to four because you add Ron Simmons. Booker T was world champ in both WCW and the WWF. As my frat brother David Dennis often likes to point out, no black male wrestler has had a one-on-one -on -one match for any of WWE's main roster world championships since Mark Henry lost to John Cena in 2014. Of note, Bobby Lashley could finally break that trend if he gets a shot at Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam, but who knows? Also of note, two black women, however, have been WWE women's champion since 2014. Those women are Naomi and Sasha Banks. Now, despite all of this, Pro wrestling has been an integral part of black culture and hip-hop culture for decades. Whether it was Run DMC performing at WrestleMania 5, you've got LL Cool J name-checking The Undertaker in EPMD's classic Rampage in 1990. You've got the Wu-Tang Clan making just about every pro wrestling reference you can imagine. Hell, even WCW had an ill-fated attempt when they partnered up with No Limit Records in 1999. And do I really even need to bring up the influence Ric Flair has? Do I? Do I really need to bring up the references to Ric Flair, the influence of Ric Flair, the swag, the fact that you got guys like Wale and Killer Mike and Rick Ross who turn into giddy fanboys whenever the Nate struts his ass up in the building? You got Pusha T using the damn spilt liquor promo as an open to 2011's What Dreams Are Made Of. You got Offset and Metro booming in the Migos out here, bringing that Ric Flair drip out here to the streets. We are the studs in professional wrestling. We are the men that get it done. It's obvious that black culture and hip hop culture, along with pro wrestling, fit like a damn glove. And someone has obviously conveyed this to WWE. Hell, John Cena made a whole damn album. And it actually wasn't that bad. Yet, 
for WWE, who like so many others in this country has profiteered from and off of the backs of black culture, to welcome back a man who openly admitted on camera that he is, quote, racist and spitting out N-words like Migos bars, this had to come straight from the top. This is on you, Vince. When you take a look at the WWE right now, the WWE landscape as of right now, publicly traded company worth billions. This is a different WWE from the WWF that Hulk ruled from 1982 to 1993. It's even different from the one that Hogan returned to in 2002 after WCW collapsed. For the first time in the company's history, it is heavily represented by men and women of color. And they're not just portraying the same old tired ass stereotypes that the, that the company would so often try to fall back to. And when they make an attempt to do something like that, they get called on the shit, which didn't happen even 10 years ago. Look at some of the company's top stars right now. I'm talking about, and not just black people, I'm talking about Shinsuke Nakamura and Asuka, Sami Zayn, who's French-Canadian, but he's of Syrian descent and is Muslim. Mustafa Ali on 205 Live, Pakistani-American, former Chicago, sorry, suburban Chicago, I should say, police officer. He's also Muslim. You look at Latino stars like Andrade Cien Almas, Zelina Vega, No Way Jose, Kalisto, and Bailey. Yes, Bailey is Latina. Her last name is Martinez, for God's sake. You have Jinder Mahal. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But you have Jinder Mahal, a Sikh Indian-Canadian along with the two Singh brothers, who were both Indian and also from Canada. You got all these Samoan stars. I can't forget Sonia Deville, Daria Bernardo. Bernardo. Yes, she's, she's white, but she's also the first openly gay woman to wrestle for the company. Darren Young was the first openly gay man to wrestle for the company, and he was black. And lest I forget the Samoan stars, like the Usos and Nia Jax and Samoa Joe, and yes, Roman Reigns. And that's not even getting to the black wrestlers. And for the first time in a long time, there are almost too many of them to name. Whether it's The New Day, or Sasha Banks, or Naomi, or Bobby Lashley, Shelton Benjamin, Jason Jordan, Cedric Alexander, Leo Rush, Ember Moon. If I dip down into NXT, we're now talking about Ricochet, and Bianca Belair, and the Velveteen Dream. They've got nothing but color all up and down this motherfucker. It's the first time in my life that WWF slash WWE has had this many black superstars in prominent spots at one time. So one would have to think that they would have been cognizant of that when deciding to welcome back a racist, albeit an iconic one, into a company that is more black and brown than it's ever been. I'd love to ask my fellow member of Phi Beta Sigma, Apollo Crews, who's the son of Nigerian immigrants and is married to a white woman what he thinks if Hogan comes his way and says, that's not the real me, brother. You have to wonder what Roman and the Usos are thinking about this. All three of them are married to black women, with Jimmy Uso being married to Naomi, who's on the roster. And all three of those men have children who are half black. I wonder how they feel about welcoming back this icon who thinks so highly of interracial relationships. Now, some wrestlers have spoken out. You got Kofi Kingston, the veteran member of the New Day, born in Ghana, raised in Boston. He made it very clear what the New Day thought of the Hulksters. Both of those guys co-signed on this. Quote, on a personal level, when someone makes racist and hateful comments about any race or group of people, especially to the degree that Hogan made about our people, 
we find it difficult to simply forget, regardless of how long ago it was, or the situation in which those comments were made. Perhaps if we see him make a genuine effort to change, then maybe our opinion will change with him. Time will tell. Meanwhile, Titus O'Neil was a hell of a lot more blunt in his assessment of Hogan's so-called mea culpa, particularly in how Hogan keeps seeming to bring up the fact that he didn't realize he was being recorded, as if that makes a damn difference. Quoting Titus O'Neil, real name Thaddeus Bullard, I'm a proponent of second and even third chances for individuals that show true remorse, acknowledgement of wrongdoing, fulfill their punishment if applicable, and otherwise put forth sincere efforts to correct the issues. Unfortunately, I must echo the sentiment and dissatisfaction expressed by many of my fellow contemporaries concerning Mr. Bollea's apology and its lack of true contrition, remorse, and a desire to change. Further adding, Mr. Bollea's apology that, quote, he didn't know he was being recorded is not remorse for the hateful and violent utterances he made which reprised language that has caused violence against blacks and minorities for centuries. Game, set, match, motherfucker. In closing, am I surprised that WWE brought Hulk Hogan back? No, not at all. If anything, I'm surprised it took three years. I figured he would have been back within a year, year and a half max. Should they have brought him back? Hell no. I mean, if you want to keep Hogan in the Hall of Fame, sure, go for it. Everything else, get him the f*** out of here. To make the public announcement that he's, quote, back in the family rings as a slap in the face to not only the wrestlers in that locker room, but to the legions of black fans who have made pro wrestling the cultural phenomenon that it is. If you want Hogan to be a part of your Hall of Fame, sure. Every major moment in that company's history until about 1993, most of those involved Hulk Hogan. It's like if Pete Rose were in the Baseball Hall of Fame. You would include Pete Rose in the Baseball Hall of Fame and just note that the some bitch bet on the game. I always was for putting him in off that. Now, if the other things he did, I'm perfectly cool with you leaving him out. But you can't leave the single greatest name in the history of the business out of the out of your history, out of your videos, out of your Hall of Fame. You can't do that. It makes no sense. But with the political and social climate what it is in 2018, with WWE stock trading at an all-time high and staring down a massive $1 billion TV deal with Fox, Fox TV, not Fox News, to air SmackDown starting next year, WWE needs to think long and hard before they go parading Terry Bollea's ass back on their TV talking about all is forgiven, let's move on, brother, because it damn sure isn't. And it likely never will be. As for that t-shirt I ordered on July 24, 2015, it arrived five days later. To this day, I've never worn it. Never even taken it out of the plastic. It's sitting in my closet right now on a shelf. Perfectly neatly folded, still in the plastic, like it just came out of the factory. It's nothing more than a collector's item, relegated to history, like my respect for Hulk Hogan. To quote a great American philosopher, Tony Schiavone, what he famously said in 1996 when Hogan made the world's greatest storyline heel turn in wrestling history, shocking everybody at Bash at the Beach and creating the new world order, I simply have this to close out this segment talking about Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell. 
We're out of here. Straight to hell. Coming up after this break, we switch gears and go back to the NBA because a ridiculous trade occurred last week that once again put the blog boys and the loyalty lovers in their place. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the 82nd episode of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. And we'll be back with more after this. Look at all of this crap in this ring. This is what's in the future for you if you want to hang around the likes of this man Hall and this man Nat. As far as I'm concerned, all of this crap in the ring represents these fans out here. For two years, brother, for two years, I held my head high. I did everything for the charities. I did everything for the kids. And the reception I got when I came out here, you fans can stick it, brother. Check it out. You're listening to the People's Podcast. Hope is not a goddamn strategy. This is JSC Radio. Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go fish that. Oh, come on. (laughs) This is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. People are always looking to invest in a good opportunity. So what if you could invest in the future of kids, like a stock? Not the kind of stock that's about making money, but a stock for social change called Better Futures. With your investment, it helps students like me go to college. My name is Charles, and I'm your dividend. Invest in Better Futures with UNCF. Visit uncf.org slash invest. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. Brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. You're listening to the People's Podcast. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. This is JSC Radio. DeMar DeRozan is quite upset about the lack of loyalty because not only... Had the Raptors been telling him all along he wasn't going to be traded. But about a week ago, it was reported that they told him, met with him when these rumors began and said, you will not be traded. And then a couple days later, he shipped out. You feel like this was not only a problem in Toronto, but just throughout sports. I I definitely think that this is a major problem, Chris. Uh, let, Let me back up a little bit here when Kevin Durant left OKC for Golden State, okay? He left after spending eight years in OKC and all these guys on social media calling him a snake and he left this team and, oh, that's so messed up. So here we are two years later. And as you just said, the Raptors have been gassing up DeRozan. Uh, I read a piece by Zach Lowe that said in December, the Raptors front office said, hey, we can build around you the way the Lakers built around Kobe. And we can do this, that, and the other. They tell him last week we're keeping him. And then they trade him. This is the one guy who's wanted to be in Toronto, Chris. Yeah. We saw Chris Bosh. Peace. I'm out. T-Mac. See you later. I mean, you go Vince on down Carter. the list. Antonio Daniels. So many guys. D 
didn't want to be there. DeMar DeRozan wanted to be there. He embraced it. And and now you're just going to do him dirty like that? I I just think, Chris, we've got to stop hammering the athletes when they leave the way people went after Kevin Durant. And we got to stop, you know, defending these teams when they do something like this. I mean, I think it's gutless to tell DeMar DeRozan, we're not trading you. And then a week later, you're gone. And then let's go back. 2016, DeMar DeRozan hits the free agent market. Yeah. Okay. He didn't even take a, a meeting with another team. He said, I love Toronto. I want to be here. I've read reports he took a minor discount to help them fortify that bench. You got to remember, athletes, uh, we had James Harrison on here a minute ago. You got to do what's better for yourself. You know, if I didn't know any better, that kind of sounds like something that I might have heard said on a podcast. Hmm. What podcast could have possibly been saying such enlightened things about the state of free agency particularly in the NBA. Oh, I know what podcast that is. It's the People's Podcast. This is the 82nd episode of the aforementioned People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Damn it, we're back once again. Welcome back to the show from the break. Coming off that very heavy yet needed First segment of the show, again, want to thank each and every one of you who support across all the different podcast providers, including Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, the TuneIn app, and Radio Public on all of your phones, Audio Boom, iHeartRadio, and of course, that good old Spotify, baby. And I will provide a link to the Hogan piece in the description Right now, it's even up on Vibe Magazine's website. You can check it out there. There's a slightly longer version of it on Medium. I'll put them both out there so you can check that out and get all that you need about Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell. Exactly. But I'm going to get away from that. We're going to go back to something else, and far be it from me. And by the way, follow me on the Twitter machine, at Smith. Follow the show at JSC Radio. Be sure to check out JSC TV every Saturday on RVNTV.TV. But far be it from me to pat myself on the back. Far be it for me to be one of those dudes who says, I told you so. Far be it for me to take credit for what a lot of people are saying around NBA circles, and even in some NFL circles. But you know my ass is going to take credit for this. What you just heard there was Jason McIntyre. He and Chris Broussard were over on Fox Sports 1 talking about last week's trade that involved Kawhi Leonard, formerly of the San Antonio Spurs, and DeMar DeRozan, formerly of the Toronto Raptors. Now, DeMar obviously has become a bit of a staple on this here podcast for uh, obvious reasons. But all the way to the bus! Dynamite! Detonates on Detroit! Yeah, I know. So next year it gets to be Kawhi who does that to the Pistons instead of DeMar. But DeMar DeRozan... He got a raw deal here. Now, I talked about it somewhat on JSC TV this past weekend. But I get a chance to expand upon it because, again, this this here podcast is what we do. And what happened to DeMar DeRozan, as they alluded to on Fox Sports 1 and on other places? What happened to DeMar DeRozan basically just proves the point I've been making to you simpletons for the better part of the last two years. This antiquated, idiotic, short Cited simple-minded notion that there is somehow supposed to be this unspoken loyalty by players. 
to teams. Like there's supposed to be this unspoken loyalty that if a team drafts you, you don't leave and you damn sure don't leave to go to a better team. Everybody will sit here and pepper you with their hackish, mediocre, simple ass opinions about why guys should stay loyal to organizations. Because I loved a lot of the revisionists last week when this trade happened. Say, oh, we never had an issue with KD being loyal. We didn't want KD to be loyal. We just didn't want him to go to Golden State. You are a muff and lie if you're going to sit here and tell me you weren't mad that KD left. That's all I heard for the first two weeks. Go all the way back to that episode I did in 2016. All the way back to it. When I clearly talked about how people were flipping their shit because KD left Oklahoma City. He left a franchise that wasn't even loyal to the city that it originally came from. That's all I heard was loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. He owed it to them to stay. Why would he leave to go? Because, by the way, the whole loyalty thing, that also factors into your idiotic, well, why did he have to go to the team that beat him? Why couldn't he be loyal? Got to here. You see what happens when you're a loyal motherfucker? Ask DeMar DeRozan. The exact scenario that I have laid out over and over and over and over and over and over and over again on this podcast throughout the last two years happened to DeMar DeRozan. The only thing that deviated was that he got dropped off on a pretty damn good team, a pretty damn good franchise, and a pretty good situation. I give Toronto credit for that. They didn't drop his ass off in Brooklyn or Orlando or Atlanta like Carmelo Anthony did, albeit Melo's never going to play a game there, and he's actually going to sign with the Houston Rockets since Atlanta bought him out. But every time I've laid out that scenario, you stick up your nose and scoff at me like the morons you are because dumb people don't understand smart shit. This whole idea of being loyal, this, oh, you got to be loyal, you got to be loyal, you owe it to the city, you owe it to the fans, you got to be loyal, shut the f*** up. DeMar DeRozan was the quintessential Toronto Raptor. He bought into the loyalty crap. He bought in to that team and that franchise wanting to build around him. He bought into all that garbage about they were going to make sure he's a Raptor for life. The bitch when he became a free agent two years ago, right around the same time Kevin Durant did. Unlike Durant, he didn't even bother looking at another franchise. He even gave the Raptors a quote-unquote discount. He wasn't even signed to the team, and he was willing to take less money to stay there. And all the blog boys and the loyalists, see, see, he's loyal. He doesn't go and run and join a super team. He's loyal. He's not like Durant. He's a real man. He's loyal. Yeah. And his real ass just got shipped out for a better model. Now, on the Kawhi Leonard side of things, Kawhi ain't going to be there past this year. The Raptors can do all this. We can Maybe we can get him to love Toronto and give us a look. Why? So you can keep him around three, four years and ship his ass out someplace else like you did to Rosen? Stop that. Kawhi is not going to stay there. He's going to go to Los Angeles. 90% chance it's the Lakers. Possibly the Clippers. Because apparently the Clippers are an option. But he just wants to be in Los Angeles. This dude... Is there for one year. He's a rental. This is a guy who essentially sandbagged his way through a season with the San Antonio Spurs. 
one of the best franchises in all of professional sports, and he sandbagged an entire season with them, played nine games, had a bunch of mystery ailments that he wouldn't even really tell the team about. And there was chatter that he may not even play a game or he'll try to sit out as much as he can against Toronto or with Toronto, I should say. It would be stupid for him to do this because if he wants to get out, get to L.A. and he wants to get paid dumb money because he's probably the second or third or maybe not the second. He's probably the third or fourth best player in the damn league behind LeBron and KD. And then you can factor in maybe James Harden, maybe Steph Curry. But Kawhi's a top five player in the NBA. He's going to make a boatload of money if he doesn't blow out his Achilles or blow his ACL in Toronto. And he can go and do whatever the hell he wants. He ain't staying there. DeMar DeRozan, on the other hand, I feel bad for the dude. Now, I don't feel too bad because the son bitch is making all kinds of money. But I feel bad for the fact, as someone who's been lied to by general managers and lied to by editors and lied to by owners before, it stings. It sucks. They sell you a bill of goods. They sell you on this notion that they got your back, that they're behind you. And in the first chance they get, they kick your ass out the door. I made the point to bring it up in the Blake Griffin episode. It was that episode 64 earlier this year when Blake Griffin got his ass shipped to Detroit. The LA Clippers basically put the entire damn Ritz on for this guy. Even going as far as to hold a fake jersey retirement ceremony. Full actual Jersey retirement, his name and number going into the Staples Center rafters with all those Lakers. That's how they sold that dude on staying with the Clippers by basically telling him, we will make you our all-time franchise player. Don't think about going to Houston. Don't go to Oklahoma City. Don't go across the hall to the Lakers. Don't go up to Oakland. Don't go out to Cleveland or Miami or, or anywhere else. Don't go to Boston. Stay here with the Clippers because we're loyal to you. We're loyal. Be loyal to where you started. And three months later, they shipped his ass to Detroit. Jerry West couldn't wait to get him up out of there. Now, to be fair, Jerry West wasn't the one who re-signed him. But they couldn't wait to get his ass up out of there. Be loyal. I told y'all about that shit in 2016, and y'all just thought, oh, that's a reach. Oh, you don't understand. Sports is different. No, it's not, you simpleton. It's a fucking business. That's all it ever has been is a goddamn business. Why can't you blog boys and you wishful thinkers get that through your thick ass heads? So when I see Messiah Jerry, the general manager of the Toronto Raptors, get up on a dais and have to explain in all this stupid corporate jargon to why he shipped out a guy that he basically told straight to his face days earlier I'm not going to trade you. We have no plans on trading you. You're our fr franchise player. You told this motherfucker this on Monday. By Wednesday morning, his ass is in San Antonio and he's hot. When I hear Masai Ujiri say this. Um, I had a conversation with DeMar at Summer League. Uh, and I, I, I really want to leave it at, at that. Um, we, we, we spoke and um, I spoke to him on... Um, I, I think maybe my mistake was talking about um, what we expected going forward uh, from him. Uh, so not necessarily um, talking about uh, trade, but what I expect from him going forward. And I think that's where the gap was, um, because 
in my job, I always have to assume that um, we're going forward with the team that I have. And uh, if there was a miscommunication there, I, I do apologize to Damar and his family and his representation. It's not, uh, it's not what I meant. Look here, brother man. You could just be real about it. Just say we're doing what's best for the team, which is, in a way, I wouldn't have an issue with that. But when you gas up a guy and blow smoke up his ass and tell him he's going to be this franchise's player, when guys like Tracy McGrady and Vince Carter and Chris Bosh all bailed, you're the one who's going to stay. And they make you out to be the franchise player. And don't you dare think of leaving because that would make you disloyal. And then the first chance they get, they toss your ass out the door like DJ Jazzy Jeff. No, nah, man. Don't give me that loyalty nonsense. That's why I said back in 2016, KD was right. That's why I never had the issue with LeBron that everybody else had. My only issue was how he did it in 2010, not why. I was perfectly cool with him leaving. He could have just kept it to a minimum with the extraness that he used. But again, to those of you who think that these players owe your teams and city loyalty, grow the f up. Get over it. Period. They owe you nothing but their time on the floor when they're under contract. Once they're done, they're free gang agents and can go wherever the f they want. And they don't owe you shit. They don't owe these teams for damn sure a damn thing. Billion dollar teams. You think they really owe you a motherfucking thing? Be happy you got them. And if the best case scenario is for them to stay and spend their entire careers, that's cool. But please miss me with the loyalty crap when guys are taking less money to make a team better and then they get shipped out. I mean, hell, at least DeMar DeRozan got shipped out for Kawhi Leonard. It's not like Chauncey Billups getting shipped out for washed up Allen Iverson 10 years ago. Keep that in mind the next time you talk that loyalty nonsense. And remember... You can go at these guys all you want for joining, quote, super teams. And, oh, they're joining better teams. They're joining these stacked super teams. So what? You would do the same damn thing. Because what's the alternative? Being loyal and getting a one-way ticket right out of Dodge? Do you. Follow this advice not just for the NBA but for life. Do what's best for you. And everybody else. My name is Jay Scott Smith, telling you to take care of yourself. God bless always dare to be different. Always have your pets spayed or neutered and we are out of here. I'll be in the Motor City next week, but I might have a little time to check in with your ass. Just keep looking at all your favorite podcast providers and hopefully I'll pop up out there. Until next time, goodbye, everybody. There is no loyalty. There never was loyalty on the part of the teams. The teams are looking at this as a business. I have had NBA players tell me in the past where their names were in trade rumors. They went to the general manager and the coach and said, hey, what is going on? Am I going to be traded? And they were promised, no, you're not being traded. I had a player tell me that... He asked them because of his house. He was like, do I need to put my house uh. on the market? I've got a wife and kids. I need to start looking at schools in another city if I'm going to be traded. They assured him, don't worry. 
don't put your house on the market. You're fine. And then within a few days, dude was gone. Can you, can you give me the conference this player played in? Come on, let's the narrow West. it down. Oh. All right. Dude was gone. And so there never has been loyalty. The owners have always viewed it as a business and the oh. front office people. Now the players are viewing it as a business. All right. We have seen the end of Hulkamania for Bobby the Brain Heenan. For Dusty, for Dusty Rhodes, Gene Okerlund, I don't know. I'm Tony Schiavone. Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell. We're out of here. Straight to hell. You're listening to The People's Podcast. Have you ever been unemployed? Were you nervous then? Yeah. All right. Man. This is JSC Radio. the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online for like a year. She couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand. I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council.